feeling attacked, that the world is closing in on you and your friends, feeling the need to come together and fight back and protect what's yours. The perfect time for episode 23 of Pop Art, the podcast where my guest chooses a movie from popular culture, and I'll select a film from the more art classic side of cinema with a connection to it. I am your Do the Shuffle Truffle host, Howard Kasner. For my listeners, please like, follow, or comment. I'm especially looking for more reviews on iTunes, and I'd love to know what you think. Today, my guest is Hollywood hyphenate writer, director, producer, podcaster, Donald McKinney III, who is appearing for the second time on the show. Donald joined me on the premiere episode of the podcast, where we discussed Raiders of the Lost Ark and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. This time around, Donald chose everybody's favorite coming-of-age treasure hunt story, The Goonies, and I chose the dark German anti-war film, The Bridge, both films about a group of teen friends who band together to save their home. To begin, first, welcome back, Donald. Oh, and, thanks for having me. And second, what have you been up to since you were last on the show? I must say, you're probably pretty lucky that you were able to get me on again, because I'm apparently a celebrity now. I had no idea. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> not really, but over the weekend-ish Friday, I think it was, I woke up to one of my friends messaging me and telling me that James Gunn, the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy and Suicide Squad, had tweeted a picture of me dressed as the Blue Beetle. Oh, yeah, I think I saw something about that on posted on social media. I had done four seasons of this web series where I played the titular character of Ted Cord, a.k.a. the Blue Beetle. And he was talking about the show Smallville and how that had an appearance of Ted Cord. Instead of showing that guy from that series, he posts a picture of me from the web series dressed as the Blue Beetle. I was very humbled and very excited to see that take place on Twitter. I reached out to him and thanked him for it on there, sent him a couple messages and a couple links. So hopefully he checks it out. I become so famous. Unlikely. Howard, Howard who? Right. I don't have time for this, Howard. I'm sorry. No third time's a charm for you, buddy. I thought this was going to be a very fun one. And then I watched the film you recommended. I had a rough night. So with you saying that, let's begin and let's get to your selection, The Goonies. First, some information about the film. The Goonies was released in 1985. It was directed by Richard Donner and written by Chris Colombo and based on a story by Steven Spielberg. It stars Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman, Jonathan K. Huey Kwan, Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, John Matsuzak, Anne Ramsey, Robert Davi, Joe Pantoliano, and Lupi Ontiveros. The basic premise revolves around a group of teen friends who live in an area of Astoria, Oregon, called the Goondocks, hence they're being nicknamed the Goonies. Mm -hmm. On the last weekend before the neighborhood is to be foreclosed on to expand a country club, the teens discover a pirate map left by a legendary figure called One-Eyed Willie. They decide to try to find the treasure in a last-ditch effort to save their homes. Complicating their mission, a Ma Barker-type mother and her two criminal sons are on the lam and hiding out in a remote, dilapidated building the teens have to get through on the first leg of their journey. Why did you choose this film? For a multitude of reasons. Two big ones, actually. The first one, we'll go back to when I'm like eight or nine years old. And this movie comes out. I am so stoked and excited to see it. For some reason, I think it probably didn't come out at a time that I was able to go or something. And we ended up missing it. It came out on VHS. My parents rented it. They were going to let me watch it the next day, but they rented it in the evening. And I usually had to go to bed at nine. They sent me off to bed and they started watching it. I snuck back down the stairs and crawled into the living room and watched the first 20 minutes. 
while my parents watched it on the couch and loved every minute of it. I didn't get caught until I believe it was my dad had to get up to go to the bathroom. He saw me on the floor and I was sent back upstairs. I did get to see uh, it then the next those day. damned but... enlarged prostates. <laughs> That was part of it. Another part, why it was on my mind so fresh, we are in a quarantine world. My birthday was back in August. I wanted to do something in celebration, but I wanted to be safe. We decided to go to the drive-in, and lo and behold, the drive-in was playing The Goonies. It was such a fun thing to do. Reminded me of that film again and how hard I struggled to see it when I was younger. So I thought, ah, this is a perfect thing to do. What did you think about it when you first saw it? I thought it was fantastic. I still think it is fantastic. There is not an ounce of me that doesn't relive this film every time. There's some films that you can get tired of. I don't know if that will ever happen with The Goonies. I always can find some little detail, some little snippet that I had missed before. And when I watch it again, it's like experiencing something new. It's such a pleasant, fun, adventure film. Family-friendly, yet nerve-wracking. It's got all the elements that you need. Adventure, a treasure. Who doesn't, as a kid or as an adult, really want to go on a treasure hunt? I mean, who doesn't want to be a pirate, for God's sakes? What did you think of it upon seeing it again? You said you definitely think it holds up. It definitely holds up. Josh Gad did this series on Zoom where he would bring together the cast of certain movies, and then he would interview them. He brought back the cast of The Goonies. It was so much fun because they were talking about little tidbits here and there and getting a little more insight to the backstory and the history of some of the characters and the guys that played it. It was fun to watch then and see how they played off of each other how they really were kind of like a fun family unit of actual goonies these were kids that actually enjoyed their company they got along they had a good time making the film so much so that it put a lot of stress on richard donner because i wouldn't say he was bad with kids but he wasn't amazing with kids he had to learn it was just a lot of fun and seeing it as an adult recently still the same I try to keep as much childlike naivety to myself as possible because I feel like when you let go of that, you die as an individual. You kind of wither on the vine. I want to stay young at heart. For me, it's so much fun to relive these moments. Sometimes you'll watch something when you're younger and then you watch it again when you're an adult and you're like, what did I see in that? But this is not one of those films. And I think I'm going to be 75, 80 years old and I'm going to be just laughing my butt off. I first saw it, it was at your place. <laughs> you showed it one night. Yeah, that would make when sense. When we were over there. Because I did not see it when it first came out. At that stage, I was getting much more snobbish about movies. Wasn't always going to a lot of these more stereotype, big budget films. Uh-huh. So for whatever reason, at the time, I just have to be honest, it just did not interest me. You showed it, and it is. It's a lot of fun. It has everything that goes into those sort of movies. It seems made for a particular audience and is very good at appealing. I think one critic called it basically an amusement park ride. And that's what I thought, too. It's almost also like a video game where step by step you have to get through various yeah, uh, areas. Actually, they created a card game for the Goonies. You can still buy it through the town of Astoria, their Chamber of Commerce, and they'll give you a little magnet and stuff. It's really cute. My girlfriend got it for me for my birthday. We played it recently, and it is played that exact way. Levels. You can go from the restaurant. You can jump over to the water slide. You can go to the pirate ship. All these different little places and elements that you can do. It's it's a really cool game, and it does remind you that it was a video game before it was a video game. There are all these layers and these levels. It just adds one on top of the other on top of the other. The part where they're underneath the city pipes, 
sloth and chunk are there. It's after all the others have already gone through that section. All these pipes are going crazy and up and down. And sloth grabs one and he pushes it up to stop it. Then you hear a car wreck and you hear somebody scream. And you just see his poor face freaking out. It was just classic priceless humor. That was such a good pairing. Chunk and sloth, perfect. A childlike adult with super strength. And then a child that's very childlike that wants to get his way and he's very gluttonous. It was just such a smart script in general. And the casting was spot on. Well, you're talking about buying the cards from Astoria. This did create a big change in the city. It now became a big tourist attraction. Every June 7th is Goonies Day. They have a movie museum there now. The house where Sean Astin and Josh Brolin live is a real house. It's quite a house. I just love those kind of old-fashioned houses that have a porch that goes almost all around the place. But they eventually had to start restricting how often people can come through. I was actually there. It was not only traffic, but it was people were leaving their trash and stuff behind. I was there about two years before they shut that down. They had a sign that said, please do not drive up the lane. This is a private lane, but you can walk up. Goonies are welcome. And it was a really nice sign. It was So I took my picture by it. I walked up the lane. Me and Marik, we got our picture in front of the house. I had a pirate flag. And then everybody else that was there then wanted to use the flag. We're all taking pictures of each other holding this flag. Just living in this really cute, really fun moment of being in Astoria where the Goonies was filmed. It's such a fun little town in general. You could just tell they embraced this film. And I highly recommend anybody wanting to do a little small vacation once things open back up a little more. What are some of your favorite scenes from the movie? Oof. I know. You love the movie so much. Yeah. But try okay. and pick a couple. <laughs> Here's an easy one. This is the one that made me laugh the hardest when I was a kid and still to this day. Chunk is playing a video game. He has, I think it's a milkshake in his hands. He has a slice of pizza. Cop cars drive past with the RV being chased because the beginning, one of the Fratellis gets broken out of prison by his brother and his mother. Chunk is the one that views this from the arcade. He's so close to the glass and pressing up and so excited by seeing this that he pushes his milk shake into the glass so much it explodes and gets all over him and then he goes ah shit as a kid it made me laugh because he got away with it oh you know he said a bad word i couldn't get over that i remember that moment every time i see it and i just giggle because i know that that's what made me laugh so hard when i was a kid another one was probably where they were up in the attic this is when they discovered the map and the little doubloon and everything the feel of the whole moment. It's raining, it's storming out. They're up there in the dark, they're stumbling around, they're, they're talking about, oh my God, I found this and, and what can we do? We need to go do this. And this is a moment as a child. This is what you long for. You long for an adventure and you're like, oh my God, I've been thinking about this my whole life and they're actually doing it. I love that moment when they discover the map and they start reading the little words written in blood, the mouth's reading it because it's in Spanish and only he can read Spanish. Speaking of which, that scene where he's describing everything to the housemaid because she doesn't speak English very well, but he's telling her that there's cockroaches and that she'll be tied up in the basement and beaten if she doesn't do things correctly. All the stuff at the beginning, Chunk knocking over the statue, them gluing the penis upside down on the statue, Data falling through the window because he's zipped lining through, brand getting tied up. All this stuff in the beginning just really sets everything up so perfectly, breaks down each and every character and also the name.
team chunk mouth data and then you got mikey bran steph andy all the goonies start to come into place and it forms such a perfect cohesive group another scene would be the pirate ship scene of course where they're finding the gold the bones keyboard and the water slide was amazing it's so fun there's just a lot of moments i'll keep it at that it's especially at that point where you start getting all the movie references. I don't know how many are intended and how many not, but of course there's references to Raiders of the Lost Ark, to various pirate films, but the main one they focus on is... Captain Blood? That I'm not absolutely sure of. I thought it was the Seahawk because the music that is played mm-hmm. is the music from the Seahawk, but I can't guarantee that the scene that they show is from the Seahawk. Another place I read said the movie was Captain Blood. So I don't know if they used different music for the movie they showed, but that music is definitely Eric von Korngold's playing the piano. I don't know if it's the reference to another film also called Ghostbusters with Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard, where they go to a remote Machin castle in the Caribbean and they have to play an organ in order to open oh, a wow. passageway. You can start counting them about now. And that becomes a lot of fun. It becomes very deferential. The scene when they first see the pirate ship, Richard Donner wanted a very immediate and a non-acting reaction to seeing the pirate ship. So he went out of his way to have a convoluted Rube Goldberg way. Talk about all the Rube Goldberg machines that are in this movie, the complicated ways they open the gate and everything like that. He did something like this in order to get them into the studio soundstage where the pirate ship was, so they could not see it until a certain precise moment. Uh And they saw it, and Josh Brolin went, holy shit, and they had to reshoot the whole thing. sounds about right my favorite scene i think has to be chuck's confession it's an old joke but it still works very well where he says okay i'll tell you everything and he goes back 10 years earlier and starts recounting everything he's done wrong that's on my list too the the puke in my jacket and then i got up on the balcony and i went (laughs) and robert devee's response to it he's laughing he's like i'm beginning to really like this kid (laughs) speaking of ma i love ann ramsey yes she is just wonderful. She, in many ways, steals the show. Catches mouth with all those gems in his mouth. Yes. She's like, oh my God. Her tone, her response, her facial responses. I don't think this film would have been the same without her. She has this thing that she can do and she does it very well. I know you've seen Throw Mama from the Train. Yes. She got an Oscar nomination for that role. And she's hysterical. A delight to watch. Another thing I liked about it, we'll even get into this a little more with the next one, is how it does dramatize group dynamics, how teens and friends react to each other. These people are all friends, but they don't always treat each other very well. In some ways, they're bullied, and then they have somebody in their group that they in turn bully themselves, which is Chuck. And there's also the interesting dynamic between Josh Brolin and Sean Astin, who, as brothers, have to pretend not to like each other because, well, they're brother. One's older than the other one. We can't let anybody know that we like each other. But then right. at certain times, you know, have to let their guard down and be there for each other. It's a really well-done film in all the right ways. One cute thing that I did not know that I got from the Josh Gad thing 
Richard Donner was exhausted by the end of filming this. Spielberg produced it, if I recall. He thought it would be funny to pay for everyone's plane ticket to go meet Richard Donner because Donner was going to go take a vacation in Hawaii. What a terrible thing to do and a wonderful thing to do. So he paid for all the kids' plane tickets to go and surprise Richard Donner in Hawaii. They got into his room and when he got there and got into his room and they were all there, he was like, oh my God, you son of a... I think there could be a movie in that. It is a movie that has really affected people very strongly. I think it made the National Board of Registry of important films that are culturally significant. Why do you think it just has this effect after all these years? I think it's timeless. You look at it and you think it should be aged, but it really hasn't aged that much. There really isn't a necessary aspect in there that's like, oh, they could have solved this with this technology or they could have solved it with that technology. And kids do still ride their bikes in small towns. I lived in a small town for 26 years. And when I go back to visit my family, there's still kids riding their bikes around. I think that's part of it. It's just this timeless story that you could really tell to day and tell it very similarly i don't think it ever really needs to be remade it's like something that's just going to carry on over and over and over again it's just so perfect in all the right ways that did remind me of something else that i did like about it this time around or found interesting it reflects a childhood that's very prevalent at least in the u.s of when you're young and there's nothing to do and you're generally bored and you hang out with your friends and you find things to do and you find ways to fill your time but generally it's a pretty boring existence this time it's interrupted by this search and you do things you do silly things like we're bored we have to do something well let's go on a treasure hunting let's ride our bikes somewhere and i think in many ways it's also an accurate reflection of that aspect of childhood yeah you're right 100 percent. in smaller towns especially there's less to do so you have to get creative i had a club when i was a kid called the crime busters there was villains in our town one of them was my neighbor poor mr kennedy it's by the always way. a neighbor yeah it's poor mr kennedy i knew he was a villain somehow he never was of course yeah. but i knew he was a villain i would spy on him and then i would report back to my neighborhood friends we needed to bust this guy he's about to do something, you know, uh, very criminal. I never knew what it was going to be, but I knew that something was bad was coming from this guy. We would come down to my place and use our binoculars and spy on him. At one point, he was making a, a brush fire of burning leaves and stuff. We had some firecrackers that we were throwing in it to blow him up so we could get rid of him and save the town. Just really silly, dumb things that kids do. Well, with that, here's some more information about the movie. It cost $19 million to make, but made $124 million at the box office. At one point, if you remember, there's a reference to an octopus. Yes. And there actually was a scene shot with an octopus, but it ended up on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Richard Donner makes a cameo as a sheriff's deputy. The pirate ship is actually a full, accurate replica of a ship that I believe I read was based on the Seahawk, the ship that was used in the Errol Flynn movie. And this was Josh Brolin's film debut. Jonathan Luke K. Kwan, as most people probably know, was short round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And today is mainly a stunt person. Filmed them both around the same time, and they asked him which one he preferred, and he was uh, neither. They were both great experiences. He said, I really don't have one that I would choose over the other. And it was a very smart response, by the way. But I'm sure it would be hard to have more fun with grumpy grandpa Harrison Ford than it would be a whole group of kids on a set. That let's get to my selection, and that is The Bridge. 
The Bridge is a West German film released in 1959. It was directed by Austrian filmmaker Bernhard Wicke. It was written by Michael Mansfield and Heinz Pock, adapted from the 1958 novel of the same name by journalist and writer Gregor Dorfmeister, which was taken from a true event based on the personal report of Survivor. It stars Volker Bonnet, Fritz Wepper, Michael Heinz, Frank Glaubrecht, Carl Michael Balzer, Volker Lechtenbrink, Gunter Hoffmann, Cordula Trantau, Wolfgang Stumpf, Gunter Fitzmann, Hans Elwinsbuck, Klaus Helmold, and Edeltraut Elsner. The story takes place over a few days in April 1945, as Germany is losing the war. A group of high school teens are drafted as the American army is approaching their small town. They are eager to join up, but after their teacher pleads with their commanding officer to go easy on his students, the officer is convinced to not send the boys to the front, but lets them stay and defend a bridge, an unimportant strategic point that is supposed to be blown up anyway. But due to miscommunications and fate, the teens find themselves the only soldiers between the approaching Americans and their town. What do you think of the pairing of the two films? It took me a while to understand what you were trying to do with them. They're so starkly different. The Goonies is so happy-go-lucky and fun and adventurous, and the bridge is so... Not. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it's very tragic and very gloom and doom. When you look at the naivety of the characters, they're so young and full of life. They want everything to be a particular way and they're going to work towards that because they think that they can change the outcome of their homes being foreclosed on they can change the outcome of the war of their town being overrun there's a lot there that parallels and then you start to go oh okay i see where he was going with this i don't necessarily have to go oh boy this is a lot of fun but you can definitely see then why you chose what you did to be a companion film to that when did you first see the film? Last night. <laughs> I got home at, I would say, midnight. I stayed up till 2.30. So what did you think of it overall? It was a really well-done film. I think the cinematography is magnificent. I think it's very wonderfully shot. I think the characterization of each individual, I don't think they hit the level that the Goonies did, surprisingly. The Goonies, you knew what characters were doing what and why. But with this one, it was a little different. You had to go through what they were experiencing, not who they were as individuals, if that makes sense. Each one had a different personality based on what they were experiencing. Instead of in the Goonies, each one had a different personality based on the way they acted and the way who they were as an individual. So it was more of the outside stimulus in the bridge versus the inner personalities of the Goonies. I think that's actually a very astute observation. I certainly never thought of that. I do think one of the criticisms of the film is that in the first half, though the characters are interesting, they're not that perhaps original. The mm -hmm. circumstances the kids find themselves in, their sort of conflicts, they're fairly standard. And to a certain degree, I think the author and the director wanted to do that. They wanted to make them as average as normal characters, people like you and me when we were that age. But at the same time, I think you do have a point. They are not so much defined by their personality, by their characteristics, except for one. You don't really say, oh, he's that one. He's the leader. He's this. He's that. He's that. You go, oh, no, he's the one who's the son of the guy who's the head of the Nazi party in the city. And he's ashamed his father's taking off. He's the rich boy that's the son at the farm who has the foreign workers. The one who's sort of flirting with first love. So I think that's actually a very astute observation. And I think it is 
because one of the things that people to some degree have criticized the film, that the first half is a bit too normal, I suppose you might say, in spite of the fact that they're all Nazis and they're all in this town and it is a little melodramatic. That didn't bother me so much. I just wish we had gotten to know them more as individuals. Right. I felt that I would have cared more about what was happening to them in the end than I did. While it was still tragic, because spoilers, there was quite a bit of casualties that took place. The fact that I didn't have as close of an investment in these characters from earlier in the film that created that separation for me and was able for me to then go, oh, okay, well, all right, moving on. You know, I just didn't have that emotional connection that I normally felt that I should have. I first saw it probably less than a year ago because it showed up on the Criterion channel, which is a channel that you can get on the Roku and other apps that showcase the Criterion collection, as well as they have special showings of groups of films by actor, by director. They also do a lot of pop culture. And this was one that I was not really that familiar with. I'm not sure if I had ever heard of it before. It was a very, in many ways, powerful film. One of the reasons is, though I do take your point, that the characters of the teens perhaps could have been stronger. There's such a sense of doom from the very beginning. We know this is April 1945. We know what's going to happen. Germany's going to lose, and Germany is going to lose spectacularly. Mm -hmm. And we know that they're going to sacrifice anybody and everybody on that road to losing, even if they're teens. Right. That seemed for me to give a higher emotionality to everything that happened to these kids, all these little vignettes and everything like that. I'm going, these kids don't have long to live. They don't know it, but I know it. And to your point, yes, like the Guineas, these are kids that are very excited still about life. They have their whole life ahead of them, and they think they can win this war, and they think Germany is going to be glorious. They think they are the future. And in the Goonies, that's true. They are the future, and they save the day. But in the bridge, they aren't the future. They're going to be sacrificed. Hitler doesn't care. I found it fascinating that you know how you oftentimes in films when you're talking about World War II, you see the Nazi emblem basically everywhere. You're hit over the head with it. But in this one, you had to really struggle to find moments where it showcased anything that had to do with the Nazis. You knew it was there and you knew what they were talking about, but they didn't really come out and say it, which I guess from a German perspective makes sense. There also may be another reason for it, though. I can't guarantee it here. Immediately after the war, Germans cannot reference the Nazi flag. They couldn't reference Nazism. When Mm -hmm. Casablanca was shown in Germany right after the war, they had to cut out like 45 minutes of it. Oh, wow. They had to cut out anything that referred to the Nazi party. Not because they were trying to make the Germans look better. It was just illegal. And even today, you cannot wear the Nazi emblem. You cannot have the Nazi flag. It is against the law. So there are other things that have replaced the Nazi symbol for neo-Nazis and for white supremacists. There's an emblem of an eagle that represents the Nazi party today. See, one of their symbols during that time, during World War II, was an eagle clutching the swastika. Right. I saw a movie about neo-Nazis in Germany where they would get tattoos of things that were forbidden. If they were wearing any sort of clothing where there was revealed, they would put band-aids or bandages or something over it so they wouldn't be arrested. Yeah. It has been called the first major anti-war film made in Germany after the war. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And it was 1959, so that was 14 years after the war was over. 
huge number of people would have been alive. The teens in the film would have been around 30 if they had lived and one did. But I found it a very, very powerful work. And of course, it's definitely my kind of movie. The second half is, for me, just incredibly amazing as everything, everything starts going bad for the teens. And we all know what's happening, but the teens don't. Right. And you just see that ending coming. Yeah, basically one by one, you see it coming for them. It was fascinating, too, because there is one American in the film. Right. And he has only, what, a couple lines where he's just basically saying, what are you dumb kids doing? Why are you here? We don't want to hurt kids. And that's a fascinating perspective, again, coming from a German film showing an American response. You would think that they would try to villainize the Americans more. They just showed them as the opposing force. And part of the reason why I enjoyed it more than I thought, it didn't villainize really anybody, but it did villainize war itself. So there wasn't a particular person or a type of person that was villainized, but just the act of what these people were doing. One of the other things I found interesting about the film is it's very subtle. The way it dramatizes that everybody knows, except for a small group of people, that this is it. Germany has lost the war. It's over. It's only a matter of time. The head of the Nazi party first sends his wife and then leaves town with his mistress. He knows what's coming. The Soviet workers on the farm run off. They know what's happening. Mm -hmm. All the commanding officers, anybody with rank, they're just marching time. They're doing what they do. They're soldiers. The privates and all the ones on the level of the teens, they know that they're being overrun. But nobody is telling the teens this. We've lost. And of course they can't because that would be illegal. That would be traitorous. Yeah. But everybody knows and they basically talk to each other as if they know this. You know, they're not stupid. One of my favorite scenes is when the teacher goes to the commanding officer. Uh huh. I think both of them want to say what they can't say. Commanding officer says, why should I do this? And the teacher just wants to say, because you know the war is lost. But the teacher can't say that. Right. Because he could be arrested for it. And the commanding officer can't say it either. He just can't bring himself to say it. He does in a way admit it because he does then assign the teens to take care of the bridge. And then it becomes a Greek tragedy because in a Greek tragedy, no matter what you do, you're doomed. You're doomed from birth. When the oracle tells Oedipus's parents he's going to kill the father, he's going to marry the mother. So they send him off into the woods to be killed and the guy can't kill him. And by sending them off to the woods, they ensure the fate that he's going to kill his father and marry his mother. Here, he assigns them to the bridge for the sole purpose of saving them, but in doing so totally dooms them. And it's just the great irony of Greek theater that yeah. no matter what you do, you're doomed. And that makes complete sense when you're paralleling it with a war such as World War II. That could be for any side, really. It could be for the Axis or the Allies. No matter what you're doing, you can be doomed. There's a high possibility of loss on either right. side of this war. No matter what you do, the very thing that you can do to protect yourself, to make sure you don't get killed, could be the very, very thing that kills you. Do you have any favorite parts of the movie? It does really start to take off in the second half once they get the draft notices that they're going to be going to war. I really found Siggy's character to be very tragic in general because his mom, who works so hard, the poor lady, she's doing laundry for basically the whole town. Right. They've basically bartered everything away that they can, and his shoes are getting holes in them. She's trying desperately to get him to go with his aunt out of the town. 
if he does get drafted, he won't go to war. He won't get the papers in. He won't know that he's been drafted. And she'll be able to save the life of her son. That was so sad, particularly because he, in the last half, was made fun of for ducking when a plane was so far away. Right. And then when the plane got close, he stood his ground as everyone else ducked. And then that was his undoing. It was a very tragic moment, but it fit for Siggy's character, which I felt gave him a very well-capped story. And Siggy is the one character that stands out the most, that most people remember, that has the most of an individual character. He's more than just his relationship to his mother. He's nervous. He's afraid. Smallest. Right. He's the smallest of them all. And this does bring me to think that in both films, they both show the group dynamic of a small group very well. Because in the same way that Chunk is a member of the group, but is picked on, Siggy is a member of the group, but he is bullied Mm -hmm. by all his friends as well. But he sticks around just like Chunk does. And he's one of the first to go. Or he is the first to go. I think he is the first. Yep. He's the one on the bridge that gets shot first. So, yeah, he's, he's the first to go. And you think maybe that's the end of it. Maybe these kids are going to quit and leave. And no. No, they bought into it. All of Germany bought into it. They've been so indoctrinated. And they can't be indoctrinated because nobody can say, it's over. You've lost. Uh-huh. A lot of little moments, too, in the film that were very smart and very well done. The teacher not only going to that the captain or whatever and trying to right. convince him to not have the kids go to war, but also with trying to get them to work on this boat, which was kind of a distraction in my eyes as to try to get their thoughts away from the war and towards doing something constructive and something healthy for them rather than dreaming about going to war and being part of something that teacher knew was going to be their undoing. Right. He is probably, he and the commanding officer, I think, are the most interesting characters in the movie. They're the most innerly tormented they have the most going on inside of them that they really can't reveal. And I do agree, the second half is very exciting. Once the tanks start arriving and mm-hmm. the battle, everybody is telling these kids, don't fight, don't fight. The soldiers coming back from the front are telling them it's over. The citizens in the town are telling them, what are you doing? And then the American soldier are telling them, what are you doing? It's over. It's done. You can't win. It's a very exciting series of battle scenes. Yeah, it's really well done, really cut together well. There was one scene that threw me because there's a shot where there's a bombing or something and it freezes for a moment and Mm -hmm. then it cuts to the kids. And I was like, okay, well, that was obviously some type of issue that they had that they just couldn't correct at the time. And I get that. But everything else was so spot on as far as the action and stuff. It was very well shot. Like I said, the cinematography was fantastic, beautifully done. And every moment there was this doom and gloom that you had for these kids. There was the fog in the town, the darkness of the characters around their eyes when they would come in and tell them they need to leave. They need to get out of there. The captains and the the leaders telling them they're going to blow the bridge up eventually. It was a really well done film in general. I'm not going to say I love the film, but I enjoyed the film because I knew what they were trying to do. And they did it extremely successfully in, in my eyes. In the battle scene, I don't know if you noticed, but when the tanks come in, you can see wheels underneath them. No, I never noticed. I don't think I noticed it until it was pointed out to me. The reason for this is Germany couldn't have tanks. It was after the war. They couldn't have a standing army, so they couldn't have weapons. They couldn't have tanks. So they had to build tanks out of wood, and they put them over trucks. Ah, clever. Yeah, so you can see the wheels under them. Well, with that, here's some more information about the film. 
The movie was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, but it did lose to Brazil's entry, Black Orpheus. It did win the Golden Globe and the National Board of Review Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Fritz Pfeffer, who plays Albert, who is the only surviving teen, is probably best known here in the U.S. for playing Fritz Vindel in Cabaret, the musical. He plays a German Jew passing as a Protestant. Michael Hens Walter, one of the kids, was Jeff Goldblum's voice actor for the Ray Bradbury Theater and Scott Wilson for In Cold Blood. Volker Lechterbrink does the German dubbing or did the German dubbing voice of Chris Christopherson and Dennis Quaid. In Europe, everything's dubbed. Even in France that has this belief in the purity of art, everything is dubbed. Generally what you do is you get a person who does the same actor for every film that opens in that country. Okay. Yeah, they even become known and can be more popular than the person they're dubbing. Like in The Simpsons in Mexico, right. the, the voice actors were going on strike. and There was a panic there because they had been playing them for so long. Right, and when everybody goes expecting this particular person to be the dubbing voice and it's not, yeah, that, that can be, yeah. In closing out, is there anything else you might want to add about this film or The Goonies or both films together? I think it was a good pairing. I enjoyed both for different reasons of course. It's always good to revisit The Goonies. It's always good to, you know me, Howard, personally, we've been friends for a long time. You know my willingness to just go in blind on stuff that you recommend. You've done it for a long time with me. We'll just go to the movies and you'll say, hey, let's go see this. And I'm like, yeah, I've never seen it. Let's go. I'll, I'll check it out. Nine times out of 10, I'm very pleasantly surprised. I don't have any hesitation when it comes to that, and I appreciate your choices, so thank you for that. I just feel very lethargically hopeful, I guess if that makes sense, for all of these characters in a way, because they're going to carry on in the story that's told. Film is a beautiful thing for that reason. It can carry on these characters even after their celluloid death, that they'll live on in infamy in that manner of speaking. Right, they live on long past. When the actors who played them have passed on. That's the beauty of that. Being able to pick up a film from the 50s or from the 40s, 60s, whenever someone has passed on and be able to see their work in their craft and the beauty of what they were able to do is always something that I really appreciate. Let's start closing out. I asked you to choose a film or two to go with your choice that might interest our audience. For The Goonies, I would highly recommend The Monster Squad. That was a Fred Decker-directed film. Very, very Goonie-esque in that it was a group of kids that band together to stop Dracula from taking over the world, basically. And Don't it, you hate when that happens? I do. That movie actually was out of print for a long while. They brought it out on DVD probably like 2006, 2007, somewhere around then. It really brought back a lot of emotion and a lot of love for those characters in that story that I had almost forgotten about to be honest which is surprising but it's a really great film about a group of teens gathering together and saving their town and doing it in style another one i might recommend is a little bit more adult and a little bit off from that if you want a good adventure film romancing the stone I feel is a fantastic film with some similar elements of adventure and actual mud water slides that do take place. Going outside of your comfort zone and experiencing things in mortal danger, treasure and stuff. So Romancing the Stone would be another one I would highly recommend as well. That came out, I believe, in 84, 85, 86 range, somewhere around there. As for me, the first one I'll recommend is All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930. This is one of the great anti-war films and one of the great films of all time. It won 
Best Picture that year. It's directed by Lewis Milestone. It tells the story of a group of teens who, at the urging of their teacher, joined the German army in World War One, only to confront the horrors of war. It's based on the classic novel, but Eric Remarque. And then Jojo Rabbit, the dark 2019 Taki Watiti comedy about a young boy trying to fit in in Nazi Germany during the final days of the war with an imaginary Adolf Hitler as his best friend. <laughs> what is next? What should we be looking for from you? From me personally? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I also. What are you working on? What's coming up? I also do a podcast. I do the Real Short Box, which is on comic book and pop culture. You can get a lot of prospecting information. We had a really fantastic live podcast not long ago where we had some on-air sales and stuff. We were at a comic shop and people were purchasing stuff from the shop and calling up. It was nice. It was a very exciting thing. We do like to go into comic book shops and promote them and they'll sponsor us. We'll look at what we can do to help them because print is a world that can always use a little bit of help. Printed page is not something that's as popular as it used to be, so we always look to promote bookshops and comic book shops and stuff as much as we can. As far as my career outside of acting itself, which I love to do, and I, I have done a little bit here and there, I've been filming some promos for comic shops, local shops to help advertise for them, particularly in the COVID environment. The, the comic book shops that made us, I believe is the title, it's on Amazon Prime it is about comic book shops dealing in the COVID crisis and how they're surviving. I did film and direct part of an episode for that for a comic book shop called We Can Be Heroes in Chatsworth, California. That'll be for season two. You should expect to see that coming soon. Besides that, I'm working on producing a uh, horror film that's called Copley Road. A lot of people may have heard about it, particularly people from Ohio in the Akron, Cleveland area. That's garnered quite a bit of heat, surprisingly to even my own surprise. So those are my big things that I've been doing that's kept me pretty busy over this year, even in quarantine. Great. For me, I'll go over my usual litany. I'm a screenwriter and script consultant. So I have a Facebook page called Howard Kastner Screenwriting Consultation. I have a blog called Rantings and Ravings, where I discuss issues about screenwriting and movies. I've published two books of short stories on Amazon, The Starving Artist and Other Stories, and The Five Corporations and One True Religion. These are stories that are sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. I have published the second edition of my screenwriting book, More Rantings and Ravings of a Screenplay Reader. I'm an amateur photographer, and you can find those on Instagram. The previous podcast was with fellow podcasters Anna Kaiser and Derek Danke, where we discussed The Blues Brothers and the 1971 version of Silence both films about people on a mission from God. I will be taking one week off, but then we'll return with fellow podcaster Kyra Comerford, where we will discuss the modern-day Western Hell or High Water and the game-changing classic Bonnie and Clyde, both films about bank robbers. With that, Donald, thank you very much for not just being my guest, but for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you.